everyone, and welcome. This is episode 259 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Network. I am James, joined once again uh, for what's probably going to be a super packed, super long episode, so apologies in advance, Uh, but we got Ryan and Paul here. Uh, So first off, guys, how how was your weekend? Uh, Last nice weekend, maybe, until April? Yeah, it was a perfect weekend for Panic at the Riverside in Milwaukee, my annual uh like best weekend of the year sort of deal uh and uh yeah it was it was absolutely gorgeous and had a lot of fun no wook flew to report yet so that's good so everything's <laughs> on the up and up as far as that goes so uh yeah pretty pretty happy i understand uh there was some badness in the football game on sunday afternoon that i was kind of half tuned into and half tuned out of it was like the worst packer game in like a decade maybe Maybe wow. multiple decades. Was yeah, it the Cardinals game that got McCarthy fired? Yeah, I think it was. That was that was really bad, but I think everybody kind of saw the writing on the wall for that one. And it's not like they've been good this year, but to fail so spectacularly in sort of all phases of football and be boring at the same time, <laughs> uh, they haven't done anything like this in a, a quite a long time. Against you know, talent. whenever they've gotten shut out in the past or or looked bad, it's usually been like against a good defense. It's figured them out, or or Mike is just not there anymore. But like this is supposed to be a contending team playing against a trash Washington team, and they they still should have won, but they also played horribly across, just awful, just just atrocious. So they're tanking for Rogers' replacement now. Is that it? <laughs> Maybe not on purpose, but they they should consider it at this point. Trade deadlines really soon. They have a. A hard decision. I mean, they're going to ride Rodgers because they can't really do anything else with him. Yep. But uh, yep. in a more objective world, they should probably be sellers. Time to suck for Stroud. Or yuck, uh, for, for, yep. yuck for Young. I don't know. It's we'll a we'll good, workshop that. Yeah, I'm not going to talk too much about football, but if, if you need <laughs> at least a, a developmental quarterback, this is a good place to get one. At middle of the draft, you can get a good starter here. Good time to be drafting in the low twenties, upper teens, I guess. That yep. in that regard, <laughs> lower teens, maybe we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Uh, so that's this week's reporting as eligible preview. Uh, <laughs> Going to record in the day here, and you'll get that later this week. But uh, I am fortunate to say that I did not watch a single minute of that Packers game. I decided to enjoy the last seventy degree day in Madison for the foreseeable future. Went to the Union Terrace sat on the chairs before they started packing them up for the season today. So that was it was a good afternoon. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm jealous. Much of better you. than watching. Very, very yeah. jealous of you. I, I did youth sports and I drove around places and I, I Jody's out of town, so I, I was uh, command commanded during the whole show here. <laughs> Super dad weekend for you. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so plenty to talk about on the Packers podcast. Stay tuned for that. Uh, as I mentioned too, this uh, Brewers podcast, as I like to remind myself that we are sometimes, uh, is going to be a super long one. So uh, last week we kind of talked about the the what the hell happened past tense, and now it's going to be more what the hell will happen uh, coming up at the winter. So we'll get to that in a minute. But first, as always, if you'd like to help support us and get a question in, because we got a ton of questions this week, uh, so much so again that we're probably going to have to uh, – defer some of those contracted questions into the future, much like Christian Yelich's salary. Uh, so uh, if if you asked a question and you're a patron, don't worry, we will get to it. Uh, but in the meantime, if you want to kind of join the queue, go to patreon.com slash tailgate for as little as two bucks a month. Gets you that question priority both on this podcast and on the Packers podcast. 
Uh, five bucks a month gets you the question priority plus the extra podcast, the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire, as well as Paul's Packers mini pods, which have proven to be Nostradamus like. Yeah, they've been say so myself. Washington was like, again, dead on. Unfortunately, one of these things, too, were like, I, I can tell what's going to happen. Why? Why can't you? And why you can't and... Matt figure it out? Yes, yes. exactly. That's that's the extra frustrating part, but uh, you guys will break it all down. So we'll see. All right. Uh, on the Brewers end, lots of questions, I guess, to to ponder. And that's why this episode's probably going to be one on the longer side. Um, y- you know, we've got some returning contracts that we know are going to be on the opening day roster. And uh, between Christian Yelich, uh, uh, Freddie Peralta, I should say. I keep wanting to say mm-hmm. Willie Peralta. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And especially with Wandy Peralta being a prominent figure in the postseason, I'm like, is that Willie? No, James, you're just old. Uh, Freddie Peralta and Andy Ashby uh, combining t- those three alone combined for about $30 million in payroll. Of course, Christian Yelich, a bulk of that. But uh, that's a pretty big chunk of a uh, mid to small market large team payroll. Uh, in terms of free agents, we've got Andrew McCutcheon, Omar Narvaez, Jace Peterson, Taylor Rogers, all set to become free agents. So I guess as we get this winter roster preview underway, let's just go uh, and start with those impending free agents. So, Paul, let's start with you. Uh, any of those four come back? McCutcheon, Narvaez, Peterson, Rogers? do you think? I, I really don't think so. Um, I could see maybe... Jace Peterson would be the one that I think is possible because I don't think he'll make that much money in free agency. He's a weird utility guy. And I think they do see the value in having him around. They like the versatility. They like the defense. He at least brings some on-base percentage that they do not have when he's at his best. Uh, so he's, a, I would say, uh, a maybe familiar bring back. But I think they'll probably move on from, from Omar, who um, hasn't really... I think he'll get paid kind of a decent amount of money and isn't that great. And I think that they feel like they can make defensive catchers pretty easily. McCutcheon, I think is just not going to happen. I think he's going to sail off into the sunset and uh, Taylor Rogers. Yeah, maybe, but I kind of just doubt it. I, I think that they, it's not really their prototype. Like they get, they get more middle tier guys to try and turn them into cool stuff. And he's a proven closer who disappointed them and may cost a lot of money. And I don't know, I'm sick of Taylor Rogers too. I don't want to see him again ever. So yeah, I pretty much agree down the line there. I think that Jace is interesting to, as a potential bring back and at the right price, I'm sure they would do it. But I also think that they have a ready-made replacement in Bryce Terang, who I think is going to fill that roster spot pretty neatly and probably command about the same number of plate appearances and just kind of fill right into that role. So I I think that that's sort of unnecessary. Rogers would be a guy if they hadn't had him in the second half and he hadn't been like, you know, this huge, massive story for them. I think he would be a guy they would look to grab on the market as a rehab guy. <laughs> buy low. Right. Yeah. He would be he would be a buy low candidate for them, but you, you can't do that when he was on your team and he sucked here. So, like, you, you just can't do that. So, no, I don't think any of them come back. I would be surprised. All right. The other half of, I guess, this equation then is some option decisions as well. And then uh, we get to the tender, non-tender decisions which are always one of my favorite parts of the offseason and debating all of those too so i think before we jump into that uh that discussion i should say and kind of go name by name on these arbitration estimates because 
holy crap, are there a ton of RB eligible guys? Mm -hmm. Um, we should note that if they exercise all player options and tender contracts to all of the players who are eligible, based on the MLB trade rumors estimates, their opening day payroll would already be well into the 120 millions. And last year they had set a franchise record for opening day payroll with 133 million. So before you even talk about adding other pieces, you'd be well on your way to surpassing that mark as well so um that kind of maybe complicates some of these decisions makes some of them a lot more interesting so let's just start with the option decisions uh we've got brad boxberger a three million dollar option with a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar buyout and then the big one that we've already kind of talked about or at least alluded to in recent weeks is colton wong at second base a 10 million dollar option with a two million dollar buyout um, so I guess before with before I asked the question, uh, I should say Jay Google patron asked this question. Uh, what are the chances of Brewers bringing Colton Wong back, considering how bad the free agent market is at second base and third base? So we'll let Jay ask that question. Uh, Paul, what what do you think? Colton Wong, kind of an interesting case here, uh, but the other options may not be great. Well, I think the odds are higher than they should be. Uh, so Colton Wong is one of me, my personal most annoying brewers, just because uh, what I saw on the field was a guy who declined significantly at the position defensively, um, who just didn't hit very well. But if you go and look at his numbers versus the offensive profile of the league was actually a pretty valuable player. Um, I'm going to have just the theme this episode of being annoyed by that specific profile, which comes <laughs> kind of a lot on the brewers um, and $10 million for the two and a half to three wins that he got you last year somehow isn't bad. Um, and they do need to fill out the infield. Like you can move Louis Sirius over to second base, which is maybe where he should play, but that just creates a hole at third base. Then you have to fill with somebody who maybe isn't actually as valuable as Wong is likely to be given the third baseman available. So I think it's actually pretty likely that he's back. That's probably a deal for him. Maybe he even rebounds defensively a little bit. And uh, like I put it over 50% that they actually do exercise Wong's option and I will complain about it the whole way, but it makes logical sense. So I've been kind of driving this bandwagon of, I think they're going to bring him back all throughout the second half when I was looking at his numbers going, he's really not been that bad. And to Paul's point about his defense, his defense was bad. It fell to his career low. He had never had other than a weird blip season in 2017 where he was just maybe half a run below average. He had never been below average in his career. This year, he was six runs below average, so almost half a win below average defensively at second base. And that was, you could see it in the field. It was really, sometimes these things aren't obvious. It was really obvious because he made so many mistakes, right? It was just yeah. mistake prone. And that that's the thing that really like lights people's eyes up. But I'm, I share your skepticism. I don't know that there's a better way to spend what amounts to $8 million because you're paying him $2 million next year regardless because he has that buyout. So it's an $8 million decision. I think he's, he's just really hard to figure because mm -hmm. often defensive declines presage offensive declines. And, uh, but I also feel like his defensive decline was such a weird one. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like his rate really impacted that much. It was like a concentration thing. Uh, and I don't even know if that really applies. I feel like it's a lack of athleticism that kind of gets guys there. And I, I don't know how to project that. I, I have no idea what that, what's going to happen there. And then, like, his offensive profile I do hate, but 
his 339 OBP was one of the best on the team. He was mm-hmm. it, it was modern baseball, and he was one of the best guys on the team at getting on base. He had a 430 slugging, which in this, again, stupid area of baseball, is good pop for a second baseman. He had a 118 OPS plus, and um, that that actually does show up with how he hit. So um, I, I I guess my wish is just that baseball offense would be better generally, but he's <laughs> fair. He's okay. He's pretty good. Um, I think you could do a lot worse, and they probably would do a lot worse. Well, and here's the thing. If you want to build an offense around fewer strikeouts, if that's a thing, and a lot of people are obsessed about that, and I think it's wrong, but we'll get into that in future episodes, I'm sure, <laughs> um, because I think that you're, you're sacrificing a lot on the power end for it. But Colton Wong was not the problem in this regard. He was the league average is about 24% strikeout rate, 23, 24%. And his was 17.7. So he's well below the league strikeout rate. So that's not part of his issue. I wonder from, from my personal standpoint, if he has to have known that his defense tailed off this year. And I think a lot of it was maybe his body could not cash the checks that his mind was writing in terms of trying to make defensive plays that maybe his body used to be able to make and now can't. And I wonder if maybe a winter of working on that, like we've seen guys be able to like stave off defensive decline. Derek Jeter did this. He was, there were years and years and years of him being really bad defensively. And then one winter, somebody basically came to him and said, you know, you're bad defensively. Right. And he's like, no, no, no. You know, I'm captain Jeets. I'm not. And they're like, no, like literally look, your defensive numbers are crap, Derek. Like, I wish I had that on tape. They're really bad. <laughs> yes. It would be, it would be fantastic. but, but to his credit, his defense got better for like not just the next year, but for the next few years, he really elevated it because he went and put in a ton of work in the offseason. And that is what I hope Colton Wong is doing here is basically saying, look, I know that the defense fell off. I need to, to put something into that. We don't know if that's going to work or not. I think I think they probably actually at this point, I think they probably don't bring him back just because they're going to want to do some roster churn here because of what happened, how the season went. And that's just such a big amount of money to have to try to work around if you're going to just bring him back. And so I kind of lean now that they won't do it, even if I think they kind of should. So I think we're polar opposites on this ball. You think they will, even if you don't think they necessarily <laughs> should. And I think yep. they probably should. And I'm skeptical they will. So I guess that's that's good for uh, the old uh, 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 hot debate here. So, all right. Indeed. Um, oh, as for Boxberger, we should throw yes. this in there. Let's get to Boxberger. Yep. I think interesting decision. One thing I really like about Boxberger is he seems to be able to pitch a lot. I think he was up near the yeah. top of the National League in terms of games appeared in. And once again, ERA under three and was like yep. a pretty solid middle reliever to kind of a guy you're okay with in high leverage. And I think that those are fairly hard to get. And I think that since you're already into him for 750000 the extra $2.3 million, I, I kind of think you pick it up just because he seems to have value there, but I, you know, I, I don't know. It, that's, it, that's a tricky one. I'm truly on the fence about that one. I would not be surprised if it went either way. That's a yeah, flip. Same here. I, I feel like that number is about right for Brad Boxberger. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not getting a bargain. That is just the going rate for a, a an above average sort of innings eater reliever, a, a middle reliever. And uh, I think they could go either way on it too. I think, if I had to predict, I would say that, that I'm going to actually predict against it. I think they're going to try and save a lot of money this year on on marginal guys. And while Brad Boxberger mm-hmm. is better than that, I think that they think that they can get similar production 
from cheaper pitchers. Uh, I, I just don't think they're going to spend premium is not the right word, but even market value or arb- arbitration market value for guys like Boxberger, who is good, but not Devin Williams, Josh Hader good. Um, I, I think he's probably gone. Yeah, he is a de- definitely an interesting case, right? Because he kind of is clearly Craig Council's favorite middle reliever, or at yeah. least the guy where, like you guys said, you can throw him into any situation. He can mop up a mess in the fifth inning. He can take the ninth inning when Devin Williams has pitched two days in a row and can't mm-hmm. go a third, right? Like he he's a previous capital C closer with a different team and, and has shown whatever special skill that is that he can do it consistently enough. So I think um, he is valuable as a fallback in that way, but yeah, 3 million when you're already probably pushing up on the upper ends of what you want to pay for total payroll, right? Like yep. you can find the Strzleckis of the world and try to push them. And you know, that's kind of where the Brewers ran into trouble with the bullpen in the second half of this year too. So mm-hmm. it, it definitely is a gamble. I wish that number was in the twos and I wish his buyout uh, for keeping him was a little higher. I think that mm-hmm. they'll see that as, as a potential just cheaper way to, to move on. Well, you know who his agent is? Scott Boris. So uh, Scott Boris, not, once you ask the question, yeah, yes. Yeah. Like he, he's not going to uh, set up his client with a, uh, a team friendly situation. He was going to, he was always going to put the hurt to the team when they did something like that. So yeah. And it is, it is kind of a perfectly like cromulent, like coin flippy situation. All right. Now this will take up the bulk of our time. I think we're going to go guy by guy of the arbitration eligibles. And I can't even count very quickly while talking because a i can't do two things at once like that my brain doesn't work that way but uh i don't know if you have the number ryan but eh, definitely well over a dozen guys right so yeah so it's four guys who are in year five so in their last year of arbitration there are nine guys who are in year four so who are in that sorry who are (laughs) that that second to last year and then in their first years of arbitration or in their uh, like some of these guys actually were, were super twos, but in in that threes range, you have five more guys. So yeah, that's crazy. It's a total of uh, yeah. I've never seen. It's a total of eighteen, and that's yeah. When you consider it's a twenty six man roster, having eighteen guys in arbitration, that is an <laughs> eye popping number. And some of these are fairly easy to say and eh, toss them, but not right. all of them. It's it's going to be a really interesting thing to go through here. Right, and this is kind of where I see a lot of if not most of the turnover on the roster right is, is these guys and it's just crazy to see this many uh arb numbers up in the air and that's really what makes this offseason kind of challenging for the brewers too is you don't have a ton of cost certainty right so mm-hmm. um as we go through this massive list of guys let's kind of tackle it group by group too um or at least sorted by service time so at the top of the list then as we mentioned is hunter renfro uh, who is by far, I think, the most interesting arbitration case. So let's just start there. Uh, we'll go guy by guy, odds at a non-tender, odds of a tender, odds of a trade. And Renfro's one, I think maybe you could make a case for all three, right, Ryan? Yeah, and uh, yeah, we had it suggested to us that maybe he was a candidate for a, a tender and a trade, but like... I I don't know. That seems after the year he had this year, that seems unlikely. But then again, maybe they bet on him finally coming crashing to earth because last year he had an even better year than what 
you know, had happened the year before. So he's kind of on this two year growth pattern. And usually guys around that age, you know, guys around their 30th birthday, they don't tend to have too many years in a row where they just keep upping their level. So he's probably due for maybe a little bit of a fall off. So I'm going to say there's more than a 50 50 chance he's not back on the team, but they might tender him and trade him. So I think there's a non zero chance of the tender trade. In, in his I should case. say, too, I, I forgot to put the figure out. So MLB trade rumors estimating about 11.2 million. So keep that in mind when mm-hmm. we talk about this. Yeah, that's a it's a that's a big nut to carry. Like that's that's a lot. It is, but I think he's worth it. So I think you're right. Uh, I think because of the potential to trade him that they'll probably do it. And I think that he he is a value at that. Uh, Hunter Renfro, he is getting up there. He's about to hit the decline phase for sure. Um, but he is a well above average corner outfielder. That arm is amazing, with, with, who adds power. And I do think he is a, an asset. He's not just going to suck up you know eleven million dollars sitting on your payroll. If you're forced to play him, that's great. If you can get something back for him, that's better, cheaper. Whatever, that's the kind of thing the Brewers do too. So I, it is a big chunk of change, but uh, I think that they'll probably do it because I think he's a bargain at $11.2 million. All right. Next on the list is another interesting relief candidate, uh, kind of in that same $3 million range. So projected at $3.1 million in arbitration is Brent Suter, uh, the, the team's goodwill ambassador and maybe mm-hmm. chairman of the fund committee. So this might complicate matters more as opposed to the Boxburg burger decision. Right, Ryan? Yeah, I think this one is tricky for exactly that reason in that he seems to be a clubhouse glue guy. He seems to be important to what they do and just sort of keeping everything uh, on the rails that way. And yes, things went off the rails this year, but he has a pretty long track record of of that not happening around him. And I don't think it would be fair to blame him because during that second half, he actually pitched quite a bit better. So he was he was definitely pitching well down the stretch. There was no issue there. It's just that 3.1 million for a guy who put up a 3.75 ish ERA this year. It's just it's difficult to do and it's difficult to justify from a purely performance standpoint. So if they do this, it's just because they value him so much as a guy. I mean, I think there's an excellent chance if Brett Sooner doesn't decide to like go become a congressman or something um, that he ends up like a, a pitching <laughs> coach or, you know, a GM or something like there's a very good chance he ends up doing something like that if he decides to stay in baseball. So I think that that there's so many intangibles with that, that that would be why he would come back. But I, I think that from a performance standpoint, it's kind of coin flippy. So I don't think they will have him back. And while he looks, this is purely speculative. So while he looks on the outside to us, like he's the clubhouse blue guy, he is also the guy that, that the team rolls out when they need somebody to say something positive about the team. Sure. And that's not always popular in the clubhouse, being 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 the, corporate the guy. guy yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i, I mean and th- not meant to disparage brent Sudo, i think is genuinely um a good fun person uh and does you know mean to be a corporate cover bagger maybe isn't uh, but that doesn't always play that well and i do wonder if having a little more turnover on the roster might be better for chemistry than having brent Suter around as old guard funny man to make things happy especially if you got to pay him quite a bit of money for uh, a, a you know a good but i'd say speculative going forward performance um i think he'll be gone i think they'll they'll choose the money here and go for a, a little bit more of a revamping things clubhouse wise interesting 
All right. Um, we already talked about Omar Narvaez. Next on the list is Victor Caratini, uh, slated or projected, I should say, to earn $2.8 million in arbitration. Uh, so I guess if we don't think Narvaez is back, Paul, do you think they just start fresh at the catcher position, cut their ties with Caratini, or do they bring him back for another year? I'm I'm torn on Caratini. I, I think I would wager on him not being here because... Um, well, frankly, he's not that good. Um, but they they do need, I think, a veteran backstop. That's pretty cheap for one, but it's not really cheap for one. Uh, here's the thing: like they were forced into Caratini. They never meant to have him in the first place. He's not part of any of their long term plans. He really like he carried them for a while early, but he tanked hard at the end of the year. And uh, I think he, when it, you just get down to it, he's just a guy. Um, so I think he's probably gone for any amount of money. He's probably gone. Yeah, I, I'm i torn on this one because I don't think they're bringing Omar back, and I don't know that they want to do a complete overhaul of the catcher position. That's why I'm torn on it, too, yeah. because it's unlike them to come, come back with nobody. And right. we do know they value defense, and Fangraphs has his defense as a solid win above replacement, or sorry, a solid win above average defensively. So he is... That was his primary value last year was adding value on defense. And also there was this thing where he could kind of play or not play and he didn't seem to like mind it. There would be times when he would be on a run where he was playing a lot and there'd be times when he wasn't playing a lot. And so I think there's value in having that too. Uh, I I think that it sort of depends on like, did the pitchers like working with him? Was he a guy that they they felt compatible with, that they had success with? I think that sort of thing is going to be the basis for this decision. And, you know, offensively, like, yes, the, the batting average tanked down to 199. But in this day and age with catchers, especially, especially like a kind of a, a backup-ish catcher, a guy that you're certainly not counting on to be like carrying the load as your starting catcher, uh, you know, a, a 300 on base percentage is terrible. <laughs> like, you hate to say it, but like, it's, you know, it, you're doing okay there. And uh, he did slug a decent amount. He had some... Some important home runs for them ended up with nine home runs total on a year when the ball's juice was suppressed. So I think that like this is this is another I keep saying it, but this is another real coin flip for me. I lean towards yes on this one, though, that they will bring him back just so that they don't have to completely reinvent the wheel at catcher. Sure. I think that's totally fair, too. And I think Caratini, along with Suter, actually, are maybe in that camp where you see the team maybe offer them a deal before arbitration and say, either sign this or you're non-tendered. And I think either of those could maybe take something like that. I don't know. It That's always something to watch for the Brewers, too, is kind of offering that slightly below the projection thing just to get them signed before they have to trade figures and all that stuff. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, next one on the list, a little more than five years of service time, only slated for $1 million in <laughs> arbitration, uh, comparatively speaking, uh, not that much, but Luis Perdomo. Uh, so, you know, journey, we're into journeyman relievers earning around a million dollars. And uh, Paul, that's kind of a bad place to be, right? Yeah, no, don't. I don't like Luis Perdomo. Uh, I mean, <laughs> not personally, you know, but um, I, I think you you can just not do that um a million dollars is nothing you maybe keep him around because he at least throws hard but uh i, I guess my answer to this is i don't care um, <laughs> but i don't think i don't think they will um, I, right. think, I think that they will just let him go off into the ether um not not reliable not particularly good 
not expensive, but uh, I, I would bet against. And again, I don't care. Yeah. So this is a, an important distinction to understand here is that so it's a million dollars and that's only $300,000 above the league minimum. Yep, so you're sure. going to be paying somebody that money. But Perdomo has an option. And if you do send him down, he's still making that million dollars no matter what. And they have a lot of guys, um, guys that we'll be talking about shortly, but also just some other guys <laughs> in the Jake Cousins, Peter Struzlecki, that sort of uh, milieu that uh, like those guys can be up and down and aren't on guaranteed contracts. So I think Perdomo's out. Sure. All right. Next, moving to the four years service time, guys. Uh, as you mentioned, a, a much bigger and star-studded list, as you were. Uh, let's just start with uh, a biggie right away. Brandon Woodruff uh, expected to earn about $11 million in arbitration this year. I'm kind of surprised it's a little that low, but again, he's just getting into RB now. Um, and, you know, obviously not going to non-tender, but Ryan, you've floated him as a possible trade person before. So I guess before we get to the other big name, uh what do you see happening with Brandon Woodruff in terms of trade or no trade? Well, 100% they're going to tender him. Uh, right. I think it's more likely that they extend him than that they trade him. So we'll put it that way. I think that he is probably either the most or the second most likely guy on this roster to get a big extension this winter. Um, other one coming up in just a couple moments. So, But I think that, yeah, I think if you're going to move – either him or Burns, and I think one of those is probably likely. I, I, I'm not 100% sure, but yeah. Um, possible trade, but I think Woodruff is the more likely to get, to get extended than traded. Yeah, um, I I agree with that. Uh, I think that they will, obviously the pickup, sorry, I got, I got distracted because it was so obvious that they will, of course, pay Brandon Woodruff. Um, I... I I think I lean a little bit towards trade him to I'm getting less on that though. Um, I, I just think that if they're going to compete for a few more years, they need to keep the horses around probably. Um, but you know, that's not, a, they, they reload and restock and go again. So, um, but he's awesome. And I, I suspect, uh, well, they'll pick him up. I just, I don't know what they'll do after that. He's not that expensive. Like after I saw his number, I was like, no, I kind of think they're more likely to keep him around. Um, right. It, it Seems like it should be way worse. He's an awesome starting pitcher, but that also makes him valuable. And uh, they are going to be looking to not every not every big contract that we're reading on our little sheet right now is going to end up on the team. Mm -hmm. They're right. going to pick some of the valuable ones, whether we like it or not, and probably use those to turn them into cheaper assets. And Woodruff's one of the better chips they have. So I, I wager a little bit along those lines just for that reason. They're not going to do this with everybody. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, I hope I hope they don't. But I think they, there's a good chance that they will entertain offers. All right. Well, we're, while we're on the topic, let's just jump down to Corbin Burns. Uh, a little more than four years service time, projected at eleven point four million, and that's with a Cy Young on the resume. So, as we've talked about, probably makes an extension probably more expensive than a Woodruff extension. Uh, there's also the idea that maybe you cash in Corbin Burns' value as high as it is now with two full years after this uh, and then risk uh, American Family Field being burned to the ground. Right, Paul? So, yes. like, uh, I, I can glean from what you just said, uh, probably just keep them around for one more year at least, ride them until they, they fall off. Or what are you thinking? I think so. Uh, 
they're tricky like the, the two of them they were so close so we we obviously whined a lot about their lack of competitiveness this year but when it push game to shove they were in it till the end and their tickets to being a good team and making the postseason is those two guys so it drastically alters the team if you even move on from one of them um I don't think that I, I think this this last season might put some pressure on them against doing things like that. But uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Um, Burns is a legitimate star. He, that eleven point four million dollars is diddly squat. Um, he's also shown, shown some signs of regressing every now and then. He, no pitchers are above injury. It doesn't matter who they are. Um, they'll, they'll obviously exercise it. Um, but I think. This is just a front office that entertains offers kind of no matter what. So um, it's one of those things where they're always shopping everybody. I think their plans will probably be to go into the season with both of them. But uh, I, I think callers will be there. I, I, here's a, If they're not in contention at the trade deadline, one of them will be gone if they're still on the team. Um, mm. Quite possibly both of them. It's probably it's getting to be about that time. But uh, they'll definitely tender. or not tender, they'll, they'll, they'll pay him, but the time is getting short for the expensive pitchers, I think. Well, I'd be stunned if they weren't in contention at the trade deadline to the point that they could actually be sellers. Given the quality of the division, given the six playoff uh, spots that are available now, I just don't think they're going to be far enough back given the roster construction that that, that it, they'd have to have so many things go wrong that I just I think that's really unlikely. So I think you they're going to do a, sure. try doing a Packers podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I but, mean... I mean, this if you is get the a, Josh Hader zone, though, right? Like, this in, is if you get yeah. a few injuries, if the Cubs come back quicker than you think, um, and I think we both think they'll probably be quite a bit better next year than they were this year. Um, the Cardinals are still good. It's, I think it's, it's at least possible that they could have a super terrible year if things don't go their way. Yeah, I, I still would bet strongly against it. I think if they want, they're not going to be bailed out by that. They can't plan on being bailed out by that. If they think that they need to trade Corbin Burns to get the maximum value right now and that they can do that with like the cover of say a Woodruff or a Adamus or both extension. Like if you can extend those guys, I think it becomes a lot easier to sell the idea of trading a Corbin Burns right now, especially if part of the return in the deal is a player who they can point to as this guy's going right into our lineup or right into our rotation. This guy's yeah. going right in and is going to be a difference maker for us from day one. Like if you could manage to make it say Alejandro Kirk or something, just bringing up like one of those blue Jays catchers. There's actually a question about that. Like if you can do that, I think you can kind of sell the deal and make it a little bit more palatable for people. There will still be angry reaction. It will still be a, a shit show, right? Don't get me wrong. It will be. But I think that they can, if they if they're in the idea of we're not resigning Burns, we can't keep him here long term on a, a contract we like, so we're going to be moving on from him. I think that this is probably the best time to do it, and that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. But uh, that's kind of the the like that's the uh, take your medicine, eat your vegetables sort of portion of this whole thing. Is it sometimes there's tough decisions that have to be made. I wonder if the hater trade does make them a little gun shy just because of all yes. of the flack they caught. Um, you know, th th I think they've had a, a good relationship with the fans regardless of the moves they've made prior to that one. And at least they've been able to point to their track record. But that ticked a lot of people off. And I do wonder if it impacts the way they, they go about their process at least a little bit. Yeah, it probably does make it harder to do this winter. I think that 
they need the cover of some extensions, right? Like to be able to do this sort of thing, you really need that cover from a public relations standpoint. Because I think if you can point to and say, hey, we're, we have Brandon Woodruff here for the long haul, like this is happening, then people can sort of look at it and go, okay, well, that's that was the decision was to go with that guy. And now, you know, and, and like I said, the return on Burns is going to have to be something that it, it can't be uh, four guys in double A. Like that's right. that's not no gonna, that's right. not going to have to be like Francisco Lindor trade level right where each and every one of those guys almost immediately stepped <laughs> in Cleveland and were all stars like and note that. note and people people were still, were still really about mad about yes. that and yet Andres Jimenez just put up a six win season for like league minimum for Cleveland it was a huge part of the reason why they were in the playoffs and you know advanced and they needed Jose Ramirez to take a below market extension to really smooth things over there Mm -hmm. too so like yeah yeah, that's it's extremely difficult to pull off Mm -hmm. i don't know if they could do it yeah this is a needle that they're gonna have to really try to thread yeah all right well on that note let's uh hop over to willie adamas i'm just kind of hopping all over this group now but uh storyline wise it kind of makes sense to me so willie adamas projected for 9.2 million uh this year which i guess is higher than maybe i expected given his his kind of up and down track record and paul i know you have conflicted feelings about willie adamas so 9.2 million would you just kind of settle there would you try to work on a long-term extension how do you feel well first of all 9.2 million is a bargain for willie adamas whatever i feel about him notwithstanding that's (laughs) that's well below market value um i do think they'll probably try and work out an extension he he is a a good hitting shortstop those do not come around every day and even if he's not a superstar, he is, uh, you know, a reliable part of the lineup that you can uh, fixing that position's hard. P- fixing a lot of other positions is much less hard. So having him around for the long haul provides you some flexibility with the rest of the roster too. Roster too, I think they'll. I do think he's a great extension candidate and uh, still a bargain in the arbitration world. Yep, tender him and extend him. Giddy up. Also, would go a long way in. Uh, you know, establishing some goodwill in, in the fans because clearly mm-hmm. a fan favorite there too. Yeah. Um, all right. One that's not a fan favorite is Mr. Matt Bush, <laughs> who the Brewers, of course, traded for, is projected for only $2 million in arbitration because, of course, he's had a, let's just say, unique career. And a complicating <laughs> factor here is uh, no options left also. So, Ryan, you kind of mentioned that some of these guys could be saved by the option flexibility. That's not the case with Matt Bush, but you've also in the past expressed some thinking that maybe they just bring him back anyway. What do you think? Yeah, I think that you should bring him back. I think that it's worthwhile. I think $2 million for a guy of his quality is nothing. I think that uh, you look at what he did this year in Milwaukee, and just in general, one of the better stats to look at, especially for relievers, is whip just how many base runners are they putting on period and Matt Bush with Milwaukee had a whip of uh, 1.04 and anything sort of around one is pretty damn good. And that actually spiked a little bit at the end of the season. He was down at like 0.97 and then had a little bit of a rough last week, like everybody else did. So I think that he has the stuff to do it. I think that the, the, his problem we well documented last week, his problem was he gave up a bunch of home runs and that isn't in his profile. It's not something you'd expect. I'm looking at his Fangraphs page. It's just not anything. There's any indication that would be there previously. And so I think that 
there's no particular reason that you would. Uh, I think he's not nearly as controversial a figure because he wasn't traded for Josh Hader. He just came along in a separate deal. So I think you have a little bit more cover there from a public relations standpoint. And I think if you give him that chance, he will probably be a pretty good reliever. I don't know if you necessarily start with him working high leverage, but I think he will work his way into high leverage more often than not this year, just by virtue of the fact that he's a pretty damn good reliever. Yeah, I actually think they'll bring him back. No options notwithstanding. He's cheap, and he is a potential high leverage guy. Um, he, he's old, and he, he did struggle at times last year, but he has good stuff. His DRA is good. Um, his K, K per nine is good. He doesn't walk a ton. And if he just keeps the ball in the park, he is a well above average reliever at $2 million. And also, if they like put together a super great bullpen and he struggles, you can also cut $2 million. It's not fun, but it's not super terrible either. So I think he's mm-hmm. back. Yep. I guess I guess in a similar boat is Trevor Gotts, projected for about $1.4 million, so slightly cheaper, but also no options. And this is kind of like that waiver wire stuff to me, where you could probably find a million Trevor Gotts. But Ryan, uh, do you think they like him enough to bring him back, or do they just try to find the next one? I think the fact he has no options probably makes that tough. Um, just because they're going to want to be flexible. they Like I said, they have Strzokli, they have Cousins, they have Topa. They have a bunch of guys that do have options that they can sort of bounce in and off the roster. And I think that I, I have no problem. Like, I love watching Trevor Got Pitch because Immigrant Song is a banger. So when anytime he comes running in and you get to hear that, like, uh, I love it. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 14-year-old me is totally down with that. So, like... We're all good on that front. So, but yeah, I think he is pretty. He's pretty fungible as a as a middle reliever. You know, he's he's the reason that relievers are fungible. Is it, you know you might get something good out of him. You might also get a terrible performance for a few months, and you know and need to cut him. So, whatever. It, it, given their overall situation and how kind of roster locked they are right now in their money, he's probably a guy that makes sense to let go. Yep, I agree with that. The options just a killer there. And just to contrast him with Matt Bush, Matt Bush's peripherals through his whole weird-ass career are all pretty consistent. He usually throws a good ball, and when he has problems, it's just usually things leaving the park a little more than you would expect. Trevor Gott's not that. He is definitely more of the prototypical, um, his stuff's not as good, and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because that's how relievers are. He's more of the coin flip guy. You can get Trevor Gotts anywhere. I also like watching him pitch. He had a pretty good year for the team, all things considered. But uh, you can get that guy with options for cheaper, so he's probably gone. Should never have cut his hair. That's my problem with him. (laughs) All right. You should have listened to the Norse mythology. Yeah, yeah. No, you lose all your powers that way. Um, Here's a fun fact I didn't realize. Uh, Eric Lauer has almost exactly the same service time as Corbin Burns. Mm -hmm. Uh, but only projected for about 5.2 million in arbitration this year. So um, obviously not going to cut Eric Lauer loose, but again, Ryan, is he an extension candidate or uh, maybe not given uh, some of the comments he made about the organization this year? I mean, he would probably, if, if they came offering like an extension, he liked, I think he would kind of shut up pretty quick about that stuff. He'd be like, Oh, okay, well like, I got mine. So whatever. Exactly. I, I don't think that that is going to be a problem or a deciding factor here. Um, he is a sort of prototypical, like MLB third, fourth starter. And 
I can't think of many other guys I'd rather have being like my fourth starter than him. And yeah, the 5.2 is an easy pickup. You go ahead with that. He had a, a very solid season this year, and I don't see any reason to think that that's going to stop anytime in the near future. He was 27 this last year, and he was their second most, he had the second most innings on the team. So from an inning eating perspective, like that is still kind of important and actually probably getting more important as time goes on to get more innings back out of your starters again. I think that uh, that Lauer is a guy that you you definitely bring back. And yeah, maybe you look at an extension and if he's amenable to something that's reasonable, then you do that. At that price, he's an obvious bring back. I would like to see a little bit more personally, um, but you do need guys to do that. And I think he might be one that you can actually get a, a good value extension on like a good, um, even call it a buy low extension where you still, if he turns into something better, you, you seize that upside. And if not, he's still fine. So yeah, uh, I, I suspect he does get extended or at least they talk about it, but that's diddly squat for someone of Eric Lauer's value. All right. Next on the list, another relief, well, another reliever, I should yeah. say, uh, Yandel Gustave, uh, projected for $900,000. And I have to say, if they non-tender him, Paul, I will miss you pronouncing Yandel Gustave, or however <laughs> you want to pronounce it. I, I, I never put the... I always say Gustav because I feel like there's an accent on the E. I mean, maybe there yeah. is, is there an accent on the E, actually? You're right. I, I'm always watching on mute by the time he's pitching. Anyway. Oh, I, I watch the same problem you have. Yeah. I literally have no idea how to pronounce anybody's name. So... Um, <laughs> So it makes it fun. Uh, so I'm actually not going to pull up Yandel Gustav's um, stats page in front of me like I have everybody else because I I believe he had a an actually pretty good season last year and he cost Diddley squat. But I hate watching him pitch and I don't think he's any good. So I don't want the, I don't want him back on the team and uh, <laughs> I'm just going to stick with that. Yeah, I love his high 90s sinker. I think it's a bastard pitch, but he just mm-hmm. doesn't seem to have anything that goes along with it. So yeah, the, like if if somebody can ever figure out how to get him like a really decent second pitch then he's probably a pretty decent reliever. But if the Brewers haven't gotten it thus far, like I don't know that it's coming, so I wouldn't bet on it. And again, this is it's not the money because he's only projected for 200000 over the minimum, but it's about the roster lock. So you want to give yourself more flexibility. I think they probably let him go as well. Sure. All right. A uh, couple of no-option guys to round out this list. First, uh Speaking of the rotation, Eric Lauer before Adrian Hauser now, uh, 3.6 million projected salary. Again, uh, pretty much pennies compared to the value he can bring when he's really good. But uh, the lack of shifting next year, or I should just say reduced shifting, could probably, or possibly, I should say, hurt somebody like Hauser a little bit more, right, Paul? Yeah. Uh, my answer to this one is absolutely not. Um, <laughs> this is a perfect way to save. Uh, three and a half million dollars and we saw what happens to Hauser when the defense suffers this year uh, with the shift going away in addition to there being absolutely no guarantee the Brewers will improve on defense next year uh, he's just not a good guy to rely on and you have you have other starting potential starting pitchers that you can just plug right in there he didn't bring value this year um, he doesn't have any particularly special skill sets because he does rely on contact more than your average MLB starter at this point in time. Um, he always has his rugi tendencies that pop up once in a while. Uh, I loved Adrian Hauser a couple of years ago. I no longer do. He's painful to watch. He can go bye-bye. So 
this is tough because first off, it's he, only three point six million. I don't care. Like, it's still too much. It is only three point six million, and you are going to be very hard pressed to find somebody better than him for that money on the free agent market. Like you're not going to find somebody better than him for that money on the free agent market. Like that, just straight up, you will have to be betting on somebody worse than him to improve and we have this history with adrian hauser which is you know in in 2019 the guy put up a he had 111 innings and a 120 era plus so he's 20 percent better than the league average in terms of run prevention <clears throat> in the pandemic year you're looking at 56 innings and he put up an 86 so he fell below Last year, he put up a 128 ERA plus, so 28% better than the league average, and 142 innings was really, you know, kind of a, a mainstay of that group and was part of the reason why they were so deep and so good in 2021. This last year fell down to a 473 ERA and a, you know, a, which amounted to an 83, so 17% below the league average, park adjusted, and Chances he was are hurt for part of that. He was year, hurt though. for part of it. Yeah. yeah. And there, so there's that part of it. And also, yes, he is very reliant on his defense, but I don't think guys, the defense thing, I just don't think it's going to end up mattering that much. I don't think that the, the shifting thing is going to change things that much. There will be some specific guys that it favors more than others on the hitting side, but I don't think it's going to make massive impacts. So I think from that perspective, like I just wouldn't, I wouldn't make any big decisions based on that part of things i think you you just sort of assume that that's not going to have a big impact i just think the shifting thing is a little add-on to the brewers general defensive not as good as it used to be profile and um i i don't trust hauser to to be anything other than well below average if he doesn't have elite defense there so i'm i'm out because of a change in circumstances that occurred and i don't think he will regress back to his previous highs just because of that I don't know. I mean, we we talked about though the need for starting pitching depth, and this seems like a decent mm-hmm. piece to at least start the year with, right? And if he sucks, then maybe you just DFA him, tr- try to trade him, whatever. But it's going to be really hard know. to build starting pitching depth if you're tossing aside a guy like Adrian Hauser. It's just that's going to be really tough to do. I will say though, Paul, I totally understand I just, just hating watching him depth. pitching. Yeah. Yes. Well, no, he's annoying I mean, to watch. Plus, I last it. year was eighty three, and that's really really bad you can do better than that with but it was 128 the year before it was but then their defense got much much worse well uh, but we also looked at the defense we talked about that this week like yeah it was awesome and now now it's good by most metrics right it was awesome and now it's what if it what if it turns average which is a thing that can happen to teams Sure, but will it, it doesn't necessarily impact everybody uniformly either. It doesn't. It impacts Adrian Hauser more than everyone. That's why he's bad to have. Because of the ground ball tendencies, sure. It, it's it's a tough thing. I just when you have a guy like that and you can bring him back for under like four million dollars, and you're and they just David Stearns just said they really need starting pitching depth. I don't see how you let him go and improve your starting pitching depth. That's just gonna be a really you're going to have to bring in a bunch of other guys and hope a bunch of other guys hit like guys who are worse than him, who have worse histories than him. You're going to have to hope that they end up improving. They should get Brett, Brett Anderson out of retirement. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would, there's a very vocal segment of the Brewers Twitter that really would uh, burn the place down for that. All right. Last one in the four year service time group is everyone's favorite Rowdy Telez. Uh, again, no options. So a complicating factor there. 
also uh, not exactly a a versatile defender that can play around the diamond, but projected for $5.3 million. Uh, did get a chance to finally play full-time and hit more than 30 home runs in a season. So there there is that too, a cool milestone for him. But uh, Paul, really quick, do you think Rowdy's the first baseman slash DH next year, or do they just try to find somebody exactly like him for $5 million? Oh, of course. He's almost as good as Kyle Schwarber, so of course they bring him back. Yeah, I think that uh, they that that was a joke. I Paul's think laughing. They probably do. <laughs> uh, I think they do because he's not that expensive. But I I think they shouldn't because I think I don't I don't care for Rowdy. I don't he he, he bugs me. But yeah, that's yeah, and I really wanted Kyle power. Schwarber. Yeah, I think they'll get other guys too. They'll, I think they'll have some competition at first base, and so nothing is ever set in stone there. I mean, the thing with Tellez is. It's hard to get an offensive profile like this. Uh, usually, if you're if you're looking at a guy that that does what he does, you're looking at like a much higher strikeout rate than twenty point two percent. And if that's a thing we're really keeping an eye on this year, Rowdy having a below league average strikeout percentage, which shocked me when I found that out. But uh, him being below the league average in terms of strikeouts, I think there's some room for him to bounce back. And as Chris in the question right there alluded to the uh, the does his his profile being particularly suited to this the shift change because he was listed I think as like the number two guy on that list of guys yep. who had hits taken away by that radical shift that that part say, is going away. I didn't read Chris's question here. So Patreon Chris Richards with radical shifting going away next year, as Ryan just mentioned, will that make Roddy worth keeping or does Yelich get tried at first base to open another spot in the outfield for one of the prospects? So Ryan, your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think Rowdy does come back and I think that, and what was it judge was saying this week to us on Twitter, Paul, that he isn't as bad as we think defensively. Cause you talked me out of him being okay defensively and, and that he was total oh, trash. I remember that fight. Judge, yeah. judge said that he was not as bad as I specifically, I was saying, um, but mostly because range in first base, they think isn't that important. Okay. Um, and that there's not, Oh, there's also some atrocious people that were setting the average, uh, much lower than it otherwise would be. Um, that's all fine. I still think he's terrible at defense. Um, but uh, yeah, Jonathan is quite smart, so he's probably right. And also, you can get him some plate appearances at DH because I think there also is true. some of that opening up. So, yep. All right, moving on because we still got five people to get to in the three-year three group here, and uh, we're coming up on an hour already. So Luis Urias projected for $4.3 million. Obviously, probably not a non-tender candidate. I thought at maybe at one time an extension candidate, but he kind of had a down year. Paul, I guess, what are your feelings on Urias going forward? Uh, same as you. Uh, obviously not a non-tender candidate. Uh, still a very valuable player. Um, I'll, I think maybe a good candidate for a rebound. I, we talked about all year. I think the juice ball impacted him more than almost anybody else. Um, just on his profile, it cost him a lot of home runs. I could see his uh, just contact skills ticking up uh, shifts don't impact Luis Urias a ton, but anything that makes it more likely for batted balls to fall in is going to help him some, even if he's not a huge shift guy. Um, and I suspect that the, that baseball will monkey with the ball too. He's also versatile. Uh, he's young, and uh, I, I, like 
I wouldn't be that surprised if they try and get him on sort of a cheaper extension as well. I think he'll develop okay. And when he moves to second base, eventually, that offensive profile looks a lot better. Uh, Luis Urias looks a lot worse than he actually is because he plays over in a place where giant men tend to play, and he's not one of them. Yes, I think this is a perfect example of the Bill James thing about how people expect their third baseman to field like shortstops and hit like first baseman. And that's why right. there's so few yeah. of them in the Hall of Fame. I think this is sure. he's a perfect example of that. That's just not realistic. Most guys aren't like that. Scott Rowland is on a sixth flipping year waiting to get into the Hall of Fame and he's a top <laughs> 10 third baseman of all time. I mean, it's right. it's utter absurdity. People just have insane standards for third base. And yeah, so I think that he is he is probably for me if you want to talk about doing a uh, a buy low extension like potentially giving him an extension now when you can do it before he breaks out and and come up with like a number that's really going to be good sure. in the future i think that maybe makes the most sense in terms of doing an extension it would draw a big yawn from the 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 fan base but i think it would prove to be probably a very wise move down the road and i think and I think the flexibility that he has where you can keep him at third or play him at second, there is a value in that, in, yep. in being able to, to flip-flop him back and forth. So, yeah, he is my my sort of under-the-radar extension candidate for the winner. It'd be very bravesy for them to kind of do a slightly below-market thing, lock him up for several years. And the Braves are starting to annoy me in that they've got, like, literally their entire team locked up for six years now, and that sucks. Uh for me, as a person who doesn't want the Braves to win, uh, uh -huh. but it'd same, be very same. good. It'd be very good for the Brewers to do something like that. So yeah, maybe be on the lookout for that as well. All right, next on the list is Hobie Milner, due 1.1 million in arbitration. And Ryan, I think this is where I bust out the old Steve line of uh, relievers being carnies with one weird trick, and Hobie might be one of those guys. What do you think? Yep. And his main thing last year was that he had an insanely good run where he didn't allow hardly any or for a very long time, he didn't allow any inherited runners to score. That is a carny trick that does not last. You will see that plexiglass last. <laughs> yeah, you'll see a plexiglass back the other direction. He was not particularly good down the stretch. And this is not why I'm saying no on this. I'm just saying no on the general principle that like. He's a relief pitcher. I know he has a cult following. I know there's people getting mad at me for saying this, but like. He's a reliever, and the the ceiling on what he does just isn't that high, nope. and so it's pretty fungible. And I don't think you want to, you know, lock the roster spot with him. There, you're going to want to turn some of this roster, and I think he's one of those guys that maybe that's what you're going to want to do. Yep, Hobie's just a guy that trick doesn't play that well over the long haul. Uh, once guys see it, especially, um, and uh, yeah, they should move on from him. All right. Uh, next on the list, Devin Williams. This is an interesting one. 3.2 million projected. Obviously not a non-tender, but uh, Paul, how about how about thinking about an extension so we don't get into Josh Hader territory with him? Or are on the you one still kind of? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was not intended. But on the one hand, uh, Devin Williams, when he's right, is excellent. He is the closest thing to Josh Hader that there really is. And then he has the airbender. He throws close to 100. Um, on the other hand, I don't like to extend guys who punch walls and go to pieces. So um, <laughs> it, it's it's a tricky for I don't I don't like extending anything but super duper duper elite relievers, generally speaking. And he kind of is, 
but he's got a few red flags that give me some pause. So um, I, I definitely talk about it and see what you can get Devin Williams for. Um, but I, I, I don't know. He he's gone to he's had problems at bad times in his last few years with the Brewers. There have been very high leverage places when he has really screwed them. And they've been weird one-offs, except not, because they've happened multiple times. So um, I'm a little skittish on giving him a whole bunch of money, because I think if the pressure gets too high on him, he might be one of those few guys that actually cannot handle it. Yeah, I'm just generally against giving closers or any relievers like big long-term contracts. Yep. So I'm just generally against that. If he wants to give you some sweetheart deal where he's making you know way below the market for what he would be eligible to earn, fine. I have no problem with that. But I just right. I'm and this is not like a, a, a an anti labor thing. It's just like don't pay for relievers. This is the huge part of what animated my entire take on Josh Hader for years is sure. you just don't pay relievers. Don't do it. All right. Next on the list, Mike Brasso. Uh, projected for $1.2 million, which I think that's a nice little price for a decent piece like Mike Brasso, who actually proved to be quite valuable at times. Paul, what do you think? Uh, yes, on the one hand. Uh, and <laughs> he is also really kind of just a guy. I, I'm a little He's a lefty on... masher, but that's about he, it, right? Yeah. I got burned on lefty mashers this year. I, don't, I want to stay away from that. Everyone I said was going to be one turned out not to be. Um, he's okay. Um, he's a good bat. I don't. I don't mind Mike Brasso. That seems like a good um, amount of money to pay for a guy like Mike Brasso. I wish he would have played more. Honestly, uh, I would have liked to have seen more than the kind of smallish sample size we ended up getting of him. One point two million for some pop and bat and some some defensive versatility. Kind of. Yeah, I'm on board. They should. They should do that. Yeah, I'm fine with it. And he has options. So if you need to yep, send him down, send too. him down. And he's it's perfectly fine because he's going to be making that money no matter what. So my guess is they probably don't just because they'll look to turn the roster there. But if they do, and because they have the option on it, if they decide that that's a thing that they want to do just to keep sort of some roster depth, it's a perfectly fine move. And last but not least, and definitely an interesting case, Keston Hira projected for $2 million this year in arbitration. And, man, I have no idea what they're going to do with <laughs> Keston Hira. Paul? Uh, I'm the same as you. Uh, I, I mean, I think that the Brewer... This is, this is definitely a what you saw versus what's underneath problem and always has been... Not always. Well, yeah, kind of always has been with Keston. Uh, he was undeniably valuable with his bat this year, but they didn't trust him. They didn't play him that much. If he would he have gotten exposed if he played more, uh, probably yes. Will he in the future? Probably yes. His contact skills still aren't good. He still can't play any positions, <laughs> but he was kind of their most valuable offensive player to some extent on a play per play basis. Um, so I, I, I would, I don't know. I've kind of feel like they should move on from Keston, and Keston should go somewhere else and work on being you know better somewhere else um but he's tricky i got i don't know what they do i kind of think they let him go i think they're kind of sick of dealing with keston too and uh it's not a lot it was three million he'd be gone in a heartbeat two millions like <laughs> it's eh, kind of that line maybe right? yeah yeah it's so, like to me it's it's the just i don't know what to do with you anymore yes kind of I, I'll, I predict right? he will not like, be a brewer because i think that they yeah. are sick of keston as a brewer 
All right. Well, I sorry again. Forgot the Patreon question. Oh. Jared Vogeltans asking, "Did Keston here improve enough this year to show he should make the team next year?" <laughs> eh. Ryan, what do you think? It's not really about that. I think that this is one of those situations where if the Brewers were to non-tender him, I think somebody else would pay him on the open market well more than $2 million. He's uh, going to the Rays and hitting 30 home runs. Yep. Right, exactly. That, that exactly. is what will happen. Yes. He will go there, or he'll go to the West Coast. He'll go to the, the A's, or he'll go to the Dodgers, and he'll he, he will turn around, and he will be good. I am of the opinion at this point that you tender him and trade him. I think he is he is the guy that I had most in mind when I put the option of tendering and trading on there at the top of the rundown there. And I think he makes the most sense for that. I think he could use a, a probably a fresh start uh, to hear some new voices. I know the Brewers have had so many hitting coaches in his career, and that's you know probably part of the issue or whatever. But um, I think getting to a new organization, he probably will will find a new level and that's fine. That's great. But like he was striking up 41.7% of the time. And actually at one point this season, James, he had like a, his, uh, his WRC plus was in the one thirties. He finished at one fifteen. He finished very weakly down the stretch. He was not hitting much. He, he was getting some sporadic playing time and, but did not hit at all in it. So I know there were a lot of people who wanted him to play more, but just a 41% strikeout rate guys is just, it's over the moon bad. It is, it's unplayable bad. It's, you know, you're talking about, yep. it's almost double the league percentage. There are very few players who can sustain 30% and still be good offensive players. And he's well up over 40, 40%. He's almost at 42. Yeah. I mean, it just, yeah. that is not sustainable. You cannot do that. And I think we have enough of a track record now that like, this is who he is until he can make a major change. And why would we assume he can make a major change here when it hasn't happened and it's been needed for so long? Yeah, I mean, I'm still yeah. rooting for him. Put him in cores, watch him hit 40 home runs. I'm all for that. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to happen with the Brewers, which kind of sucks. But, you know, you're going to get those prospects every once in a while where you see just enough glimmer to be tantalizing, but eventually you kind of got a cup bait. All right, uh, moving on really quickly here to other Patreon questions this week. We got literally a record number of questions, Ryan. So again, we're going to be pushing some of the less time-sensitive ones, let's say, to next week as as needed to kind of help uh, fill out that show as we get into the off-season weeks. And we frankly need things to talk about because the Brewers aren't in the World Series, uh, but the Padres aren't either. So I'm happy about that. Anyway, uh, Kevin Cunning. Kundinger is asking, there are a few positions where this is an opportunity to bring back a veteran or move on easily, potentially to a younger player. How do you see the following positions playing out over the offseason? Second base, catcher, and outfield. So I think we kind of touched on this a little bit with some of the, you know, long discussion, the catcher discussion. But, uh, Paul, let's start with you. How do you see those areas and flux really playing out? So I do think they'll bring Wong back. Uh, I think that's how that just gets sorted. Um, and I do think we'll, we'll have Terang at some point. I do think like the right Wong's not going to be around that much longer. I do think Urias will start to see more time. I'm interested to see what they do at third base um, when they actually have people in and start signing people, and whatnot. 
Catcher, I just I have no idea, honestly. Not a clue. Um, uh, Feliciano will play. I, I will say that. Just don't know how much. Um, I don't think they'll bring either of the two back, though. I, I'm really, I got nothing there. Outfield's fun. Um, <laughs> so, who knows? Because, like, the, the obvious answer is Yelich, but will Yelich play outfield a lot next year? Or will he move? to something else like designated hitter first base um i mean he's a gold That's glove nominee, gold glove so nominee christian can, Yelich can you move you, him sir. out of the outfield yeah, being a gold glove nominee I, i'm not really sure um i i think tyrone taylor will probably play kind of a lot just because i think he'll sort of move around to where other people are not a lot um it, by default he will play quite a bit and I, i'm guessing we'll see frelick up and probably Weaver and probably <laughs> like they have too many. They should trade some outfielders, is what they should do. Oh, we got a question um, coming on that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, uh, and I, I mean, I, I'm even ignoring like Garrett Mitchell, who was actually up, um, but I don't think we think that that much of. Um, I'll, I'll just go with a bounce back, uh, call up from Weimer, actually hitting for some power and playing more than everybody thinks. Tyrone Taylor. And then I will go with Yelich just out of um, inertia starting out there as the three to play the most. But, like, they have so many. Like, I think Ruiz will be up and play um, quite a bit. And Frelick, I think, will be up and play because he's due. And Weimer is in AAA. And he can't keep another forever. And then they have that other guy lurking in AA who's better than all of them. So um, who knows how, how that goes. But uh, I'll, I'll kind of go just in order of uh, of triple pros triple a double a right now yeah so you i think you tackled a couple different questions here uh oh whoopsie yeah it's yeah the outfield is a giant grab bag and i don't know yeah, how too, it, too many of them we'll we'll get to that more in a minute but i think the yeah, your your thing with wong is probably spot on i'm i'm cool with that um catcher really is just i think it'll be caratini and then someone else and search me because i certainly didn't see omar narvaez coming when they got him and that worked yep. out really well for them like they traded what did they, they traded nothing to get Omar Darvaez, right? Like it Not was, really. yeah. And a yeah. couple of random arms. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, moving on. All right. Uh, next question. Cause we talked about the trades. Chris Richards, again, asking with the seeming excess of minor league talent in the outfield, particularly center field, do you see the Brewers using one or more of these players to acquire a third baseman or catcher by a trade this off season? Simple. Yes. No, Paul. Yes, I do. I think they stockpile these assets specifically because they are often in demand. And, you know, they start with shortstops and center fielders and um, they turn into corners sometimes, but they have a lot and they need to fill some positions. And I think that they'll, they are chips that they will use. I, I My one caveat here is I don't know that they'll necessarily, necessarily go for those positions. Um, catcher, I mean, they'll need a catcher to get, they'll have to go somewhere. That's a good position, but, um, they don't really tend to trade for specific infield positions. They trade for guys who can hit, who can play on the infield and then figure it out on the back end. That's my only caveat though. Yeah. I do think they'll move some outfielders to get some closer. Well, those guys are close to major league ready, but to get some positions they're in need of. I think I'm going to lean towards not yet. I think they still need to sort a lot of this out. Uh, they they definitely have a better idea than I do. Maybe I'm just projecting the fact that I haven't sorted this out in my own mind yet. Who's going to be worth anything? Because every time I think I do, 
uh, I somebody tells me something that makes me think, oh, I shouldn't write off Garrett Mitchell, like what James Anderson said to me on the last minor league extra. So I, every time I think I'm ready to do that, I I am proven wrong. So I just I think they're they're going to be sifting through outfielders for a bit here, and they have some flexibility because they have some stalwarts coming back. I think there's a good chance Renfro is back, and then I think Yelich isn't going where, anywhere in left field. And so then it's a matter of shuffling between, you know, center field and backup positions and seeing how much time gets gets pushed in. I think Weimer is more of a 2024 guy after Renfro is no longer on the team. But if Renfro isn't on the team, then maybe that timeline gets pushed. So I don't know. All right. Next outfield question comes from Sean McElmeal. Uh, Paul, you kind of touched on this. So we'll go to you first. Name the three outfielders that get the most ABs next season for the Brewers. <laughs> Primary ABs from an outfield spot and not DH. So uh, do you put Yelich in that group? I do. I think just on inertia and him starting off there, he'll accumulate enough. And um, he's he's still like their star for what for whatever it's worth. And um, also like, Moving him to first base doesn't solve a problem, you know. Mm-hmm. He's not good at uh, he, the gold glove thing is going to bother us forever. I, I mean, I don't care. It's a gold glove. Who cares? But um, it, he's not. He doesn't hit well enough to play first base or DH, <laughs> so it doesn't doesn't help there. Um, I think he'll play a lot there. I, I think Taylor will play quite a bit just as a utility guy who can man center for a while and kind of suck there, but be fine. Uh, and then it really does just depend on which young guy comes up and if Renfro comes back and um, if Garrett Mitchell actually gets more time than we think. Um, and I, I mean, who, who knows? Um, I, I wagering on that last spot is the tricky one. There's so much uncertainty. Um, I guess I'll go with Freilich, but no confidence at all. Renfro, I think is 50, 50. I, I want him back, but I'm not sure he will be back. And uh, I, I mean, who knows? Yeah, this is going to be pretty chalky for me, but I think you go with uh, Yelich primarily in left, Taylor primarily in center, and Renfro primarily and in Renfro. right. Yeah, I think that's probably it. And if I had to pick a fourth guy at this point, I would pick Garrett Mitchell just because he did enough in the time he was up there. And yes, some of those peripherals, my God, speaking of bad strikeout rates, yeah, but uh, <laughs> like he did enough to kind of at least show that they need to give him some more run. Or somebody's going to give him more run, and maybe he gets traded. But somebody is going to give him more run. So yeah, I think Mitchell is the fourth guy in that in that group. So. There's also a decent chance that they bring in some McCutcheon-esque guy that we don't even know about yet, who ends up playing in the outfield a stupid amount of time too. <laughs> Possibly, yes. I'm I'm just pulling for. Asturi Ruiz to get some run just mm-hmm. because with the bigger bases and the pickoff rules, I just want to see him steal 70 bases for the Brewers. Asturi Ruiz yeah. could steal a lot of bases if he can ever get on base. Like that's going to yeah. be the trick. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Uh, next question. Justin saying, saying, I know Yelich was only a gold club candidate <laughs> by default, but why did MLB have to rub this season in our face? Also, how do we ensure next year Yelich doesn't play the field regularly enough then have him DH more. Ryan, how can we prevent this atrocity from ever happening again? Well, they got to get back to the original rules here, which was you didn't have to play like left field to yeah. be eligible in left field. Because guys, three outfielders, come on. This is this is what the situation was. Just so you understand that this isn't really MLB's fault here. This is nobody's being stupid about this. This was literally there were five guys who met the eligibility requirements in left field. 
Two of them, Ian Happ and David Peralta, are perfectly cromulent, whatever. Peralta will probably win. It's fine decisions. And then you had Christian Yelich and Jerkson Profar. That was the toss-up for the third spot was between those two. And if you look, Jerkson Profar is a mediocre infielder who plays a lot of outfield because the Padres uh, roster construction is uh, nightmarish at times. Like how they they do things is really, really like they end up playing guys out of position a lot because of just decisions they've made because they've basically, you know, uh, strip burned their their uh, or strip mined their their farm system. So. The other guy, you know, who the the fifth guy was Kyle Schwarber. So like, yes. so like yes. that Yelich ended up here as opposed to Profar or Schwarber, <laughs> no matter who that third guy was, it was going to be pretty embarrassing. So at least Schwarber has an arm, you know, I don't know. It's a gold yeah, glove. It's, Give it to the best hitter. Like we always used to. Yeah. Well, that's also not Christian Yelich. So no, it's not. Get him out of there. It's dumb that. Ryan is right that it's stupid that they break up the outfield by positions for the gold glove. It's like giving a gold glove to the designated hitter because left fielder is just the bottom third of defensive outfielders. That's all it is. It's, mm-hmm. yeah. it's asinine. Well, it should be called the bronze glove for for left field specifically <laughs> because that's literally what it is. The copper glove, something less valuable. Yeah. People used to complain that... Well, every year the out, the gold glove outfielders were three center fielders. And they're like, well, well we're not yes, recognizing the other guys. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, because if they could play defense better, they'd be center fielders. Like, uh, that's, that's such a point. Yeah, it's such an old timey stupid baseball point where like the center fielder has to be some light hitting fast guy. Like, no, this is a defense award. Like, if if your left fielder played better defense, he wouldn't be a left fielder. That's it's it's dumb. I. Uh, All right. Speaking of Christian Yelich's defense, PJ Wessels asking, when does Yelich move to first base per stat cast? He is in the second percentile for jump 13th for outs above average and 27th for arm strength. None of those seem close to good. Uh, I don't know. I'm not even sure he could play first base. Paul, what do you think? Uh, I think he could because he's tall and he can catch the ball. Um, But Again, it doesn't solve a problem. Like the the, the Yelich problem is that Yelich can't hit. Well, not even they can't hit. He hits, hits okay, but he doesn't hit like a first baseman. And um, let's first of all, let's left field is not a place where good defenders play. That that's why he is nominated for a Golden Glove. And while he looks atrocious out there at times, almost every other left fielder in baseball either moves around to other positions or also sucks at defense. Like if there's not a lot of good defensive left fielders, it's one of the places you put crappy guys at defense. So it's fine that he's there. Moving him to first base just makes it. So his offensive profile is even worse than it already is. So there's no hurry to get him over there. Like if, as long as they can get (laughs) your random Jesus, Aguiar, Eric Thames, Rowdy Telez people to play first base, you should continue to do that instead. So no hurry. Don't do it. Um, maybe it helps his back, I guess, but maybe not. You dive at first base sometimes, too. Sometimes people run into you. They're like it, It's not D- DH if you want to save the guy. First base is just whatever. Yeah, so I was going to go into a whole thing here about how his bat doesn't profile at first base because you need power there. And then it dawned on me, 
Well, shit, his bat doesn't profile in left field either. It doesn't. No. Also true. <laughs> like, no. You expect this is the conundrum. Yes. Right. You expect power out of both of those positions. And yes, he this year was actually pretty fine because he, he walked so much and was able to get on base at a pretty reasonable clip that, like, for this year, it was fine. You just you look into the future and go, oh, God, this is going to be a, a nightmare contract. If he doesn't figure out how to hit for some more power at some point, like, this is really going to be a problem down the road. But. I don't know. I at this point, I think that the 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 option of him being in the outfield more so at this point is fine because I think that they can do more. Uh, we have some targets we'll talk about in coming weeks at first base slash DH that we would maybe like the team to take a look at if they're going to add another anchor bat to this lineup. <laughs> And I just I think it's fine to have Christian Yelich basically being a left fielder and and playing some at DH for the time being. I think eventually he is a first baseman, but I I don't think we're we're at that point yet. And I think that largely it's fine. I don't think certainly the park we do not have a park. We're not playing like Pittsburgh here, where we have a big cavernous left field, and we need somebody who can actually get to a lot of balls and and run stuff down out there. I think that you can just kind of hide him in left field and it's fine for the most part. Yeah. And can he just spend the off season at driveline, like adding six miles an hour to his fastball? That would be appreciated. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm not in a hurry to move him to first base and pay 25% of the team's payroll for Mitch Moreland. That's that sucks. I don't want to do that. All right. Uh, Another Yelich E question here from Mark Podscarby between Yelich, Rowdy, and Hira. The Brewers seem to have three ready-made DHs for next season. Is that too many guys for one team that can't plausibly play defense at the high at a high level? I think we kind of landed on yes, right? With the Hira talk and, mm-hmm. and the Yelich talk here. So yeah, Paul, too many guys. Yes, it's too many guys. Go. And Hira is uh, I mean he still strikes out too much, as we've mentioned, ad nauseum. So yeah, uh, it, it is too many. Rowdy and Yelich can play their positions competently, and Hira can't and can't make contact enough. So um, there's the the rush to get people at DH is a little weird. Like DH is what you use to keep a couple guys healthy, uh, rotate people in and out, and maybe get another big bat if you can find one. Though easier said than done. But uh, uh, those guys aren't uh, like Yelich again is not that great at hitting. So. The DH is not a, a solution for this problem. It's it's just Yelich is a problem in and of himself. Ryan, yes, too many guys. Yeah, yeah, we already we already sorted this. <laughs> we like, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're good yeah, on yeah. this. We're done. Yep. Too many, too many talks about too many guys. Luke Zimmerman asking catcher looks like a spot where plenty room. There is plenty of room for offensive improvement. Uh, what do you expect the Brewers to do with the catcher slots on the MLB roster in 2023? What would you optimally want them to do? What does the catcher market look like this offseason, Paul? Um, well, I got the catcher market. Contreras is yeah. the, the leading guy <laughs> I was going to say, it's Wilson Contreras, it's Wilson but they won't Contreras. do that. So uh, I want them to. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, and there's some other guys that have some names like Gary Sanchez, who's not really a catcher, uh, right? But, you know, like there's there's a guy, uh, Christian Vasquez, I think is a free agent. So he is. You've got he, some guys. Fine. I think he's that 33. Yep, I think my answer here is Caratini as the stalwart, the guy that you're gonna you're gonna kind of count on, and 
I think you bring in somebody else off the radar the same way they brought in Omar Narvaez from off the radar. And I couldn't even begin to tell you somebody, somebody keeps putting in my mentions, Tom Murphy from the Seattle Mariners. So there you go. There's a name that, that may be red, <laughs> red venture. I think maybe is the one who keeps putting that in my mentions. So like, there you go. Like Tom Murphy is your off the radar guy. I don't, I have investigated that exactly zero, but yeah, whatever. <laughs> so all, every free agent catcher is like 33 and right. a, a guy that, if you see their name other than Wilson Contreras, you just think, oh, he's kind of washed up. Like th- that's yeah, just that's the Omar. whole market. Yes. Yeah. Like Jason Castro's on here. I thought he retired five years ago. Like that's, <laughs> that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. We'll cross him off then. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. All right. I always, I always wanted Mike Zunino, but again, I always wanted Mike Zunino like, like 10 years, years ago. ago. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Okay. Here you want the list. Austin Bards, Tucker Barnhart, Kurt Casale, Jason Castro, Wilson Contreras, Elias Diaz, Austin Hedges, Andrew Knapp, Sandy Leone, Martin Maldonado's got an option, and he'll probably be back because he's just been a stalwart defensively for the Astros, and they don't need anything more than that. Narvaez, Kevin Ploiecki, Gary Sanchez, Max Stasi, Christian Vasquez, and Mike Zanino. I, I, I think they probably trade for a guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, next question uh, before we wrap things up here. Last couple, Adam Post asking, with a roster full of average to slightly above average players, in which position could the Brewers most effectively improve the team? (laughs) Paul, how about you? Well, catcher if they trade. Um, Sure. There's room for that. Um, Third baseman um, is hard to fix, but I, I think you could make a lot of bang for your buck there and get people a little bit more sorted. Um, but again, it's hard to find an elite third baseman or even a good third baseman. They don't grow on trees. Um, so the real answer is probably first base, but again, Rowdy had a pretty good season and you find your Rowdies pretty much every season and they're not going to spend big money on a big first baseman. So, uh, the answer is probably catcher. There's not too much else you can do because you're locked into some of your places you could upgrade to some extent. It, it, it makes it tricky. Um, you're not like second base Wong again, put up a good war season last year. You're not going to improve on it very much with other people. It, it's not going to happen. Willie's good at shortstop from a war perspective. Um, the outfield is either good Renfro or it's Yelich where, what are you going to do? Like you have, you have Yelich. You can do the center field thing. Um, that I guess is probably the other answer. Um, but those guys, again, don't grow on trees. There's not a ton of them out there. And the brewers have a bunch in their farm system that might be a better upgrade than anybody you can get out there anyway. So, um, going out and getting a catcher is probably the best bang for your buck in terms of upgrades, unless you want to pay for some big doofus who hits home runs to play first base. And then that complicates where you stick guys to rest them. Yeah, this is a tricky one, and it made a lot of people really angry to talk about it this way during the season where you're like, well, there's so many places they can upgrade like all over the roster, but you kind of look at it and go, well, yeah, but to upgrade, they're going to have to get a player who is solidly to very well above average because they were sort of average-ish everywhere. So upgrading at any one spot then gets expensive because right. that's, that is difficult to do. I think that catcher is one they could potentially look at, but it's... It's super hard, guys. Catching the offense level at catcher is so low right now. It is so, so low. And that's because the expectations of the defense are higher than they ever have been. And you really do have a situation where there are very few bad defensive catchers. The The margins there are so small compared to what they were, say, when we first uh, learned about what um, 
what pitch framing was. Now the the margins are nothing like that. There just aren't the really bad pitch framers because they get kicked out of there really fast. But it's it's really really hard. I think that it's it probably ends up being in the bullpen, honestly, and that's difficult because you're going to have to do that by like numbers. It's going to have to be throwing a bunch of numbers at the problem and trying to build it up that way because it's probably not going to be bringing in star level performance. So yeah. I think bullpen is probably the place where they have some room to plexiglass back too because of how bad things were in that last two months. Yeah, the sure. other answer is they can upgrade anywhere if they actually want to pay for like a star. It's, <laughs> you know, like yes. They will, but literally the, the world is their oyster if they want to because there is nobody that they would be replacing that is themselves that kind of star level player. Yeah, and we'll see what that market looks like. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see. All right, last question before we go. And uh, just as we mentioned at the top, literally a record number of Patreon questions this week. We cannot get to them all unless you want us to talk for two and a half hours and nobody wants to hear us talk for that long. So we're going to push about a half dozen of those to next week's episode, some of the less timely ones. We'll wrap things up here with Dylan Tyson, who is actually a new patron. And then Ryan kind of referenced this uh, question at the top of the show. So we want to make sure we get this in. Dylan says, longtime listener, first time patron. So thank you very much, Dylan. The question is, if the Brewers can sign Burns long term, what do you think of a trade with the Blue Jays of Brandon Woodruff, Colton Wong, Garrett Mitchell and Bryce Terang for Gabriel Moreno, Orelvis Martinez and Matt Chapman? Ryan, you were high on selling Woodruff to the Blue Jays like this time last year or or for quite a while. What do you think of that proposed deal or, you know, trying to spin off Woodruff there? Yeah, first off, it would be Burns, not Woodruff, that probably gets dealt if you're dealing with the Blue Jays here. Um, I know that's not the direction he wants to go with this, but I think it's more likely just because it's going to be a lot easier to keep Woodruff than it is going to be to keep Burns. So I think that like if you're going to trade one of them this winter, I think it almost certainly has to be Burns. Trading Woodruff is a weird one because there just isn't like a pressing need the same way. Um, if if you want to call what there is a pressing need, but whatever. Uh, so there's some things about this trade that are kind of like they, the trades like this don't really happen because you don't have Colton Wong and Matt Chapman, who are both guys who are nearing free agency, but making you know substantial amounts of money swapped for each other like this. They, it, it's just not the kind of deal teams generally make. Um, and Gabriel Moreno, as far as I did look at the trade simulator on this to see, and they had Gabriel Moreno is by far the most valuable player in this trade, which surprised me a little bit. I figured it would be Woodruff. And they, so they really are high on Moreno. And I'm not sure what I think of Moreno. I'm not 100% sold that he is. And there's there is some disagreement on this, whether or not he's actually a catcher. Like, can he be a catcher on a regular basis for a good team? Or would that not be something a team would want to do? I don't know. Um, in a vacuum, some of this, like, bringing in Matt Chapman seems fine. Though, again, if you want to lower the strikeouts he struck out 200 times last year so if we're we're trying to limit strikeouts here if that's a thing people actually want to do because all i heard all year was how the offense strikes out way too much if we're actually trying to limit strikeouts matt chapman ain't it um especially when you're swapping out basically colton long for matt chapman plate appearances that's not gonna happen um Aurelis martinez seems like he's kind of peaked as a as a prospect but i don't know i'm still carrying him on one of my dynasty rosters so maybe he's still good i don't know we'll see 
But yeah, it's probably not the sort of trade that happens. But any trade like this, when you start trying to come up with like five, six, seven different moving pieces going one way and another, it, this is it's just really hard to come up with trades like this that end up like working out. Yeah, always tough to kind of piece these things together. And I very much look forward to all the trade scenarios proposed throughout the winter because uh, tis the season. All right. As we mentioned, about a half dozen questions that we'll have to get to next week. That includes Tom Hates, Archduke Asilatam, or Darth Paul. I can't decide is the new name. So <laughs> very nice. Uh, Bill Ray, Bryce Trozen, Chad Fairs, Jared Vogeltans. Sorry, we did not get to your questions this week. We promise it'll be on next week's show. So listen to it there. Uh, as always, to when you sign up to become a patron, we'll get to your question eventually. You also get a shout out on the program when you become become a patron. Uh, that includes Dylan Tyson there, who asked that question. So thank you very much, Dylan. Ryan, who else do we have to give a mention to this week? Well, welcome to uh, somebody that people are very familiar with if they listen to RE, the Appleton Coffee Company signed up oh, and nice <laughs> tossing some money back the other direction this is like a money laundering circuit going on right now so uh, you uh, said it out loud oh no <laughs> we'll clip that part out so Paul, are we liable for that all right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's huge money guys major amounts. <laughs> gigantic. so uh, eric uh hanachek and uh we already mentioned dylan tyson and uh keith keskian um also new to the the fold this week and uh and keith actually asked a question about the packers which we didn't get to here because we just we did so much so he actually asked us <laughs> yeah. a question about the packers too so yeah uh, but he's gonna he said he's gonna ask you that on the, the other side paul so be ready right. for that and then to tom who i'm just choosing to believe is like a famous tom like somebody a, a tom of consequence so you, you can imagine somebody who may have blocked you on Twitter before. Oh, I wasn't the one who was blocked. That was Steve. No, I know. But that Steve. got, that got yeah. undone. You guys saw that, it right? Did. That was like during the it. last week. Yeah. The internet works wonders for us. Yeah. That was a, that was a, time, yeah. an A1, A plus sort of night. That was great. I enjoyed that uh, yeah. heartily. He softened though. in retirement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, in some ways, in some ways he's gone. He is uh, more the, the Prince of Darkness than he ever was, which is uh, I'm personally here for it. So very much enjoying that. All right. Well, thanks <laughs> to all of the patrons there, uh, including Tom, whoever Tom may be. Uh, thank you very much. And before we go this week, we'd also like to ask you to leave us a review and a rating for this very long podcast on Apple Podcasts. Paul will read literally anything you write in the review if you give us five stars. And while you're there, please do hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, wherever else you get your podcasts. Thank you, everyone, for sticking with us this week. A lot to talk about, but, you know, a lot to think about heading into the Brewers offseason. And uh, I'm sure as the developments come, we'll talk about it here we'll talk about uh world series and we'll get to those questions we couldn't get to this week on next week's episode so until then everyone thank you for listening we will see you here next week on milwaukee's tailgate